from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 through to chapter 2. Therefore, because of all this that we read last week, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. (coughs) From the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thanks, Richard, and thanks, John, for sharing. Well, if I asked you to describe the family, either that you're growing up in now or that you did grow up in, how would you describe them? I mean, not just who are the members of your family, but um, what you are like together as a family, how you get your family across to someone. Here's me and my siblings. Um, Well, when I was about three, I'm that one. Um, That's before my three younger sisters were around. Uh, And that picture kind of sums us up pretty well. There's another one when we're grown up, recreated. We haven't changed much. But it's only when you introduce a good friend or perhaps some potential new member of your family to your family that you realize just how weird your family is, isn't it? You know, you need outside eyes to help you to realize that what you've always taken as this is just how everyone is, is actually just you and your family who are really different and weird. So when Sharon and I were first dating, Sharon was an only child, householder three, used to peace and quiet, her own space. Uh, When she came around to our house, when we were first dating, we were a household of 12. 
So there was noise, chaos, always something happening. Well, in this letter from the Apostle Peter, he talks about being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, in really relational family language. So chapter 1, verse 3, we've been given new birth, born into this family. Uh, so that we're like, two, chapter 2, verse 2, so we're like newborn babies. Uh, 1, verse 4, uh, as one of the family, we've got an inheritance. And uh, verse 17, God's described as our father. And verse 14, we're to be obedient like children. So family language. And maybe you've noticed in today's passage, there's lots of imperatives. So Peter commanding us to do stuff. There's five of them that we'll go through. Peter's telling us how to live. So does this just mean that when it boils down to it, Christianity is just another religion with a bunch of burdensome rules in the vague hope of being good enough to get into heaven? Well, no. In the start of this letter, Peter's already been reminding us that we're already saved, already right with God. We're not on the fringes with God, trying to get into his good books. We've been given new birth into his family. We aren't trying to find the prize. We already have treasure that won't fade, but will last forever. Knowing the goodness of God's salvation, uh, knowing now and forever. So as we come to today's passage, what we're getting is a picture of the difference that this makes in our lives now. So verse 13 starts, Therefore, these commands are how to live as a result of being saved, not in order to be saved. See, when we're a Christian, when we come to put our faith and trust in Jesus, give our life to him, we're now, from the fundamental core of who we are, to all the way out, a new, different person. God has changed us, and God is changing us. We're different. We're different to who we were. We're different to the world around us. So we're to live differently. We're in a weird family, so we're supposed to be weird. In other words, these commands about how to live are telling us how to take on God's family likeness. Again, not to get into God's family, That's only possible through Jesus. But to show off and to line up with what God is all about as his family of obedient children. And not only does Peter tell us how to live as part of the family, he tells us the why, our motivation to live this way. So let's break it down. We're going to break it down into these five commands and reasons for them. There's some headings there, if that helps you, that sort of thing, but I'll say them as we go through. Be sober, be holy, be reverent, be loving, and be craving. First then, be sober because we have hope. Be sober because we have hope. Verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. 
So minds that are alert. So in the original language, language, this is literally gird the loins of your mind. So that means, so you picture ancient Near East bloke with his long robe that came to his ankles. Needs to run to the chip shop or something. So he hooks up his robe and girds his loins. He ties it, his belt around his waist so he can then run without tripping over his belt, his um, thing. Um, I don't know about you, we've been enjoying the Olympics, but especially the gymnastics. And it's great, isn't it, the Olympics? A sport that you've not watched for five years, you suddenly think you're an expert in. You know, they weren't quite vertical on that bar for that pirouette, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, one of the gymnasts, uh, he was preparing for the pommel, uh, and you could see him taking his mat, you could see him zone out everything around him, looking at the pommel, and he was going... You could see him taking himself through his routine, totally focused. So it's that idea of being completely focused and ready. And the other image Peter uses is of being sober. And of course, sober is the opposite of being drunk or intoxicated. So when I worked as a radiographer, I had lots of experience of working with people who were drunk. I mean, not the staff, the patients, to um, clarify. And let me tell you, a drunk is the same the world over, you know. Everything becomes fuzzy when you're drunk. The way you talk, the way you walk, the way you think. And your judgment about everything is off. Um, Time, distance, how interesting and funny and attractive you are, how good at dancing you are. Your judgment goes right off. How tough you are. What the right thing to do. Is goes off. So in contrast to that, um, we're to be sober. We're called to see things clearly and accurately, to see things how they really are and know the right thing to do. And why do we need this clarity? Because our family is so weird. Our family is so different to the world around us. Um, verse 17, we're like foreigners aliens and strangers in a land full of people who are not our people, who see the world differently and do things a different way. And all of that way the world lives and thinks, all that is intoxicating. The world makes everything fuzzy. It clouds the water and turns our head with all it says and the desires it offers, alien ways of finding security, success and significance. So if the world we live in makes us metaphorically drunk, how do we stay sober? Well, Peter tells us, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So stay sober by having a razor-sharp focus on the future grace we will enjoy. To set our hope on it. Again, hope isn't sort of wishful thinking, but it's being sure that something will happen in the future. Set our hope on the grace to come. Now, of course, we know God's grace now through Jesus in, in part. And great it is, it's only in part. So we can get on with life now knowing that we're forgiven. That everything we've ever done or ever will do has been paid for by Jesus. And that he sent us his spirit to give us everything we need to love and serve in the here and now, as we were made for. 
But the sure hope that we can look forward to, that we live under now, that we must not turn our head from, is that this world belongs to Jesus, and one day he's going to return to claim it, to judge it, and to rid it of evil for once, once and for all. And on that day, we'll really know his grace in full. So we need to ask ourselves, is there anything in life that is metaphorically getting us drunk? That anything that's turning our head, distracting us from loving Jesus, making things fuzzy? We need to sober up. See, drunkenness is, is really just an attempt to avoid reality. But we don't need to do that. Because our reality, especially our future reality, is so good that it's better than any delusion. And having a clear, sober view of that reality helps us to live differently in the world in, in the here and now. I just want to point out as well, there's nothing passive in these verses, is there? So there's no sense anywhere in the Bible that being a Christian is a sort of set and forget thing. It's not something we just wait around passively waiting for God to do something. It's something that we actively join in with, with effort to keep ourselves alert and clear-headed and focused. So God is working in us by his grace, but whatever he's doing, we're called to join in with. It's something he calls us to give our best efforts to, knowing that he's at work in us. Okay, so that's our first point. Be alert and sober, eyes fixed, and our future grace. And next, be holy. That's the next command. Be holy because God is holy. Verse 14. Uh, we're reminded that we're different now, that we're obedient children. So the obedient here, as I said to the kids, that's the obedience of faith. Uh, so we've been given new birth through believing in Jesus, handing our lives over to him. God has made us different now, so we're to live differently. So now we do know right from wrong. We do know our need for Jesus. We do know what we've been saved from, and we do know where we're heading. And so we're to live differently, live holy in light of that. And we're to live differently because of who God is. So verse 15 and 16. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So that's Peter quoting Leviticus. And he's saying, now we're part of God's family. We're to take on the family likeness. We're to live differently, imitating God our Father. Now, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, but I think I'm becoming more and more like my dad. You know, little turns of phrase, little mannerisms. I caught myself doing this the other day, and I saw Robert doing it as well. And it's exactly what my dad does, like the precise same movements. It's just weird. And all of us who are parents have had that moment where your child copy things that you've said, and it doesn't exactly clothe you in glory, does it? So we all know what it is to imitate someone because the world is always screaming out at us to conform, to fit in. But we're like strangers in a foreign land 
Because we're called to the opposite of fitting in. We're called to be set apart for God. Now, Peter doesn't come up with a long list of do's and don'ts of how to be holy. Instead, again, the image is a relational one of children imitating and obeying their father to take on his family likeness. So be holy, not to earn brownie points. Be holy, not so you can look down on someone you think isn't as holy as you are. Be holy, not in order to make yourself feel good about when you've been unholy. But be holy because God our Father is holy. And that's just how our family rolls. So be sober, be holy, and third one, be reverent. Be reverent because grace didn't come cheap. Be reverent because grace didn't come cheap. So looking at verse 17... Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So reverence, that means to show deep respect, to treat something or someone with the appropriate importance. Now, forgive me, but it's my observation that Australians, clothing-wise, are most irreverent. Okay, I remember when we first arrived in Australia, being absolutely appalled. I was on Rundle Mall, and I saw a bloke in his flip-flops, thongs, as I believe they're called, in a shopping precinct. I was like, now, I've got used to that, okay? I've Australianized. I've even worn thongs myself on Rundle Mall. Thought I was over it, but then the other day, I was in Macca's. It happens, I'm not proud. I was in Macca's, and there was a lady getting served in there, straight up, in her pyjamas and slippers. Uh, you know, hair at 10 to 3. She clearly just didn't care that she'd gone out in her pyjamas and her slippers. And it was depressing. Because what she's saying with her clothes, she's saying, I have no regard, no respect for anyone else. As long as I'm comfortable and I didn't have to waste calories dressing, then that's fine. If it, was, it wasn't one of you, was it? No, it wasn't. Yourself. Look, we're called to live with, not, not just reverence, so the appropriate respect, not just reverence, but reverent fear. Now, God is a good and holy father, so it, it's not an anxious fear. He's not worried that God might change his mind and reject us. Um, not worried that we'll finally do something bad enough to tip the scales against us. Not that kind of fear. Reverent fear means to care more about what God thinks than what we think ourselves or what other people think. To have that healthy awe of God's holy love and for that to drive our thoughts and actions more than anything or anyone else. See, God will judge our actions. God is a judge. He'll judge our actions because of the outworking of our relationship with him, or or lack of it. So what we do really matters to him. Everything we do is seen by God and has consequences. We're always on holy ground. 
Now, if that's the case, how do any of us stand a chance? Well, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, the contrast being made by Peter here is between all the human material ways of trying to save ourselves and God's way of saving us. See, the foreign land that we live in promises much and it can look shiny and valuable, but in the end, it's empty. The job, our jobs and having power, um, having good relationships, success, they can deliver a lot in this life but they can never provide the meaning and the satisfaction of living as what we were made for, knowing and loving God, living life for him instead of for ourselves. Even the very best this life can offer us only lasts us, what, a hundred years if we're lucky, and then it's over. But we were not redeemed into a life Uh, we were not redeemed into a life that lasts longer than that by what the world offers because what the world offers is temporary and so it doesn't cover the cost. Peter contrasts all that, the world's way of saving ourselves with the precious blood of Christ. God the Son, Jesus, coming into the world to pay the price for our sin on the cross. See, his sacrificial death does cover the cost of our sin forever permanently, completely effectively. So to keep our reverent fear, keep looking to the cross. See, think about it. Jesus went to the cross, so that must have been the only solution, the only way to see both justice done and yet for God to show us grace. And if that was the only solution, just how serious must our sin, our offense against God, be? Yet, if God the Father sent Jesus to do that, and Jesus was so determined to go through with it, how much must God love us to do that? There's a quote quote by Tim Keller, but I think he got it from somewhere else. Thanks, Robert. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. Be reverent, because grace didn't come cheap. Next family trait, be loving. Be loving because we are greatly loved. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So again, obeying the truth, that means believing in Jesus, trusting in him, that purifies us from our sin. And whilst we don't yet have our full 
inheritance and we still sin, we still have to deal with the consequences of sin, there's a real sense in which the decks have started to be cleared. So verse 9 in chapter 1 says, For you are receiving now the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So that real change God is bringing about in us means that we have a love for each other. And in light of that reality, our family role is to love each other deeply from the heart. The kind of self-sacrificial, other person-centered love that reflects how God himself is within himself as a trinity. It's the kind of deep love that's hard work. Kind of love that means being vulnerable, opening yourself up to being known so that people can love you deeply. And it's been a joy for me to see over these last two plus years this love in action amongst you, seeing real relationships form, um, seeing you serve each other, work really hard for one another. And I get it, serving one another in a church this size is, is hard. Sometimes loving each other isn't easy. But we don't get to choose our family, do we? God chooses who our church family is. I'm from a large family, as I said, and I've often been asked, oh, because there was 12 of us in that house, did you all get on? <laughs> no, of course we didn't. Not always. Well, often not. But it's kind of an irrelevant question, isn't it? Because uh, we're still family, whether it's plain sailing or choppy waters. Whether we're naturally people would gravitate, gravitate to, together or whether we're people we find each other really hard work. We're still family. And sometimes loving each other uh, will mean going to work on ourselves to prune things out. So chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. But the good news is, our love for one another isn't relying on what we have in the tank ourselves. None of us can say, well, I can't love people because I'm just not a loving person. No, because our love is sourced from God's regenerating work in us. And we see this in, chapter, in verses 23 to 25 of chapter 1. So the new, to summarize, the new birth in Christ we have isn't some, from something that fades. You know, we heard the word the good news about Jesus. We trusted and believed. And that same word lasts in us forever. So knowing and believing the good news has a beginning, but it doesn't have an end. As we keep deepening in our knowing how loved we are by God, deepening in our trust in him, uh, we keep growing in our love of one another. Growing in our concern to help one another know God, love God, and take on more and more the family likeness of our brother Jesus. So if we can't, none of us can say, I can't love people. That's just factually incorrect. If you're Christian, God is regenerating you and you have his love to love one another with. 
So final one, final command, family, final family likeness. Be craving so we can grow up. Be craving so we can grow up. Verse, chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the way to stay sharp and sober, the way to keep that deep awe and respect, the way to keep loving as we've been loved, is to keep feeding on that spiritual milk. So what's spiritual milk? Well, the word translated spiritual there is a Greek word, logikon. So it has its word roots in the word logos, which means word. So the way to think about it is to crave the spiritual word, God's word that we have for us in the Bible. So drinking deeply from the spiritual milk of God's word is the way to keep growing into what we will eventually become fully when Jesus returns to grow up into our salvation. So we've tasted a little now of how the Lord is good, but the idea is that that's to be like having your first Pringle. You know, once you pop, you can't stop. Or your first peanut M&M. There's never just one, is there? So cultivate that craving for the Bible. So find ways, find times, find someone to hold you to account. Whatever it takes to read the Bible for yourself daily. Read it to know God. Prioritize being in and getting to growth group, which I appreciate is hard at the moment on Zoom and stuff. But prioritize as best you can. Maybe get together one-to-one with someone to read the Bible. However you do it, read the Bible. All right. Maybe swap out one regular podcast. I-, I could swap out listening to my football daily podcast for a sermon daily podcast, couldn't I? Whatever it takes. The more we imbibe God's word, the more deeply we know him, revere him, based how we live now on the glory set before us. The more we can see the difference, the more we can see how weird a family we are. The less our, and the more we read the Bible, the less our own thoughts and problems, problems dominate our life. The less we listen to the world's voice in its empty, temporary offers of life. Drinking the milk of the Bible really sobers us up. To sum up then, we're reborn, saved into joyful relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. We're a reborn, saved person who's been rescued from the worst of ourselves. So stay sober, fixing our eyes on future hope, some of which we enjoy now. Don't get drunk and foggy on the distractions of this world. Be different. Be different by being holy because God is holy. Take on the family likeness, not the world's. Be different by being in awe-filled fear of God, knowing that he has the goods to deliver, unlike anything else you might sell out for. Be different by loving one another deeply and genuinely in the way you have been loved Deeply and genuinely. Be different by drinking deeply, often, the spiritual milk of God's word. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you that by your grace you have included us in your family. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to have that razor-sharp focus to set our hope on the future grace that we'll enjoy in full, to know the great benefits of that grace now. Help us to be holy. Help us to keep taking on the family likeness of our brother Jesus. For his glory. Amen.